0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Lincoln, Nebraska, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Lincoln, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre-recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Lincoln. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am James Orr, and we got a very special class today. This is part of the series on improving cash flow. And so today we're going over improving cash flow when considering your real estate investing strategy. When you're thinking about which strategy you want to use, how do we improve cash flow when we're trying to decide whether we're doing traditional buy and hold or short term rentals or house hacking or nomading or whatever we're trying to do there. So all of the things we're going to discuss today have to do with choosing your existing real estate investing strategy. And this is as I mentioned part of the series we're doing and so we've already covered how to improve rental property cash flow when we are searching for properties, that was covered in a previous class. So, if you want to see about all those different strategies, go watch that class. Uh, we've also covered all of the different strategies of the largest section, the one that has the most ways to improve cash flow, and that was the financing section. Today, we're covering this how to improve cash flow during the improved strategy phase. So we'll talk about these different options. And then, we've got some future classes coming. Uh, the one class on how to improve cash flow when you improve the property itself. While you're marketing the property, while you own the property, and then while you're renting the property, so there's different kind of stages that I broke it down into, and we're covering the classes, we're covering these strategies, the 88 strategies to improve cash flow in all of those different stages in discrete classes by stage. So if you're, you know, at the stage where you're searching for properties, just review the one for searching properties. If you're at the stage where you're financing, do that. If you're trying to figure out what strategy to use, this is the class you'll want to use for that one. Okay. So, when we're thinking about improving cash flow, cash flow is really made up of how much income you have coming in on the property, all the different sources of income, especially the rent, but then also things like laundry or uh, renting out different parts of the property, or maybe you add in additional services like landscape service or internet service or things like that nature. So there's different strategies of rent or different sources of income uh, like rent, and then all of the other source of income you have in the property minus in order to get cash flow you have to subtract out all your different expenses and your expenses are you know your mortgage payment taxes insurance maintenance property management vacancy like all of those different things are expenses. And so when you think about how do you optimize, how do you improve cash flow on property? Well, it really consists of two different parts. How do you maximize the income you have on a property? And then how do you minimize all of the different expenses? And a lot of the things we're going to be talking about here today in this class have to do with maximizing income, although a couple of them have to do a little bit with minimizing expenses. The majority of them are maximizing the income on it. So be sure to consider the impact of both income expenses and the additional work involved in The value of your time when you're considering all of these different strategies to implement. Because some of the strategies, as you'll find out, they are significantly better cash flow, but they also require a lot more of your time and effort uh, in order to implement them. So just kind of keep that in mind. All right. Since we're talking about strategies, this is the list of the different strategies that we've broken out for uh, real estate investing. So I'm not going to cover these because this is going to be covered in its own separate class. However, This is the list. So I'll just run through the titles. and You can kind of research these if you want to dig deeper. Uh, Buy and hold, real estate investing, buying a property and renting it out and holding onto it for a long period of time. The nomad strategy, buying a property, moving in as an owner-occupant, living there for at least a year. It's a requirement of the lender. Usually do this because you can get very low down payments or nothing down payments and you get improved interest rates, which could lead to some improved cash flow on a property. Um, so you go move into the property, live there for a year, then you convert the property that you just lived into for at least a year into a rental, you buy another property to move into, and you repeat this process until you have as many rental properties as you desire. So that's the nomad strategy. House hacking, which we'll cover a little bit today, because it's one of the strategies we're going to discuss, uh, that is renting out any part of a unit that you're living in. The most common example is you buy a duplex, you rent out one side of the unit, and you live in the other. But it could just be renting out you know, the property to roommates. You buy a single family home with four bedrooms, you live in one of the bedrooms, you rent out the other three or even just one, and that is considered house hacking. And there's some variations on that, which we'll talk a little bit about today as well. The birth strategy, buy a property, rehab a property, rent a property, refinance it, and then repeat. So there's the buy, which is the B, and then all those different R's, rehab, rent, refi, and repeat. So all the different bars there for, for Burr. And that's a strategy for being able to buy properties and leave very little or no money in the ideal situation. Most of the time, it's leaving a little bit of money in the deal uh, so that you're able to acquire properties with little down. And then all the quick turning, flipping properties, and then wholesaling and wholetailing. Uh, wholesaling is uh, basically selling your contract in a property to another investor. You find a really good deal and you sell it to an investor and uh, you get a fee for doing that. All the creative financing stuff, buying property subject to, lease option, lease purchase, um, rent to own, owner financing, uh, agreement for deed, contract for deed, loan assumption, like all of the creative different strategies for financing properties. Those are different strategies. And then partnerships and syndications. If you're going to get together with one or more other folks who want to invest in real estate with you, then you can kind of structure those in various different ways. And then tax liens and tax deeds, whether you are investing in a lien against a property with the hope that... uh, the property is, um, they either pay you a return on it, or in the event that they don't pay you the return, then you can actually foreclose to the property and get ownership of it. And then real estate investment trust, which I don't usually cover, but I include it to be all inclusive to kind of be comprehensive here. That's that. So these are the different strategies. And you'll see that we're talking about using different strategies here today when we talk about how to improve cash flow. All right, so here's the list. Different ways to improve cash flow when you're thinking about the different strategies you can use as a real estate investor. So one of the different ways you can kind of improve this is to change the term that you're renting out properties. So I think a lot of people think about investing in real estate as you buy a property and you rent it out and you rent it out to a tenant and there's a year long lease in place. And maybe the tenant renews for another year and you kind of keep doing that. Or maybe they leave early because they got evicted or they can't pay their rent anymore. And you kind of shorten the term in that way. But you could deliberately choose to rent out properties monthly or weekly or nightly, like a vacation rental. So changing the term of the rental can improve your cash flow on a property. We'll talk about that a little bit. Or doing a, a totally different strategy, like a lease option, where instead of just leasing the property to a tenant, you decide you want to go after a tenant buyer. A tenant who also has the option or a contract to buy the property from you a year or two or three or four or five down the road or six months down the road, whatever you negotiate as part of your term. Basically, they will lease the property from you. And then after they lease it from you for a period of time, they're going to buy it from you. And there's some advantages to doing that, which we'll discuss here in a minute. Or you could choose to do a specific niche. You could cater to a group of people who you know are looking to rent in your area. Um, for example, you could choose to focus on student rentals, or you could choose to focus in on traveling nurses and provide them, you know, kind of services related to their particular industry, knowing that they're coming in for you know contract periods of time and they're they're going to need some extra stuff in your property. Or you could cater to uh, oil workers if you happen to live in an area that has a bunch of people coming into town to do work on uh, the uh, the the oil kind of. Uh, Stuff that they do. I don't even know what they call it. So you can cater to all these different niches, or you can cater to things like corporate rentals. Um, So you decide to do that. And then I'll kind of group these last three together. They're all really versions of house hacking, in my opinion. Uh, So we'll talk about roommates, getting roommates, changing a strategy to having roommates like house hacking with a single family home. Uh, or renting by the bed or bedroom. You know, sometimes with, especially with like student rentals, sometimes they'll rent out by the bed or bedroom. You might rent out by the bed if you're putting you know, two students per room, or you could rent out by the bedroom if you're renting to maybe a graduate student or something like that. Or you could rent by parts. In some cases, you may be renting to a renting a property where, you know, you rent the garage separately, or you rent access to the community swimming pool separately, or you rent access to uh, the storage units on the property, you know, like the storage shed, where somebody wants to be able to store something or whatever they're doing there. So those are different ideas. And we're going to go into those in detail here. All right, so let's talk about term. So Related to term, so term is going to be basically changing the term, the duration of your lease term. So you can either do a daily rental, things like vacation rentals, um, or you know, there may be some situations where you want to might rent uh, by the day, um, or you could do weekly rental. Like, Well, I guess it would be a variation of, of uh, vacation rental, but I was thinking of uh, you know, if you rent your property out for the Super Bowl, for Super Bowl weekend, that may be like a daily rental or maybe a weekly rental, but it's all sort of covered under that short-term rental, vacation rental thing. So you can do daily rentals. You could do weekly rentals. Weekly rentals could be a good strategy or monthly rentals. Instead of doing the weekly, you could do monthly or the traditional way of doing this. I think the most common way that most folks are familiar with is yearly rentals. So in addition to changing the term of your lease, a lot of times you're changing what you're providing with the rental, whether you're providing the house furnished or unfurnished. And so realize that you may have additional, sometimes significant additional startup costs if you're changing the term of your strategy from a year-long lease, which you may be renting out a vacant property, although you could do a furnished year-long lease, uh, and and do instead a more of a, uh, a completely furnished turnkey. Someone shows up almost like a lodging hotel sort of situation where you allow someone to come and stay in the property like that. So typically, rent, increases as the duration decreases. So the shorter the term of your lease, typically the higher the rate is. There are probably some exceptions to this, but overall that's the, the general rule of thumb. Shorter terms tend to be more expensive than longer terms. Now, the other thing to watch out for, if you're gonna go and do the strategy, where you're gonna, you are know, gonna change from doing year-long leases to short-term rentals, which could be significantly higher income on the property. You also have to watch out for increased expenses, like increased vacancy expense. You're not going to have you know, 100% of the nights occupied in most cases. There's probably some exceptions to this. But in most cases, you're not going to have 100% of the nights occupied if you're doing some type of short-term rental or vacation rental. You might have you know, 50% occupancy or 70% occupancy or 30% occupancy. So just realize that you may have increased vacancy for doing that. You may also have an increase in marketing costs. Whereas you may market to find a tenant for a year, you know, for the 60 days or so prior to the lease expiring to get your next tenant, if you're doing a vacation rental, you may be advertising on all of the kind of short-term vacation rental type websites, and that may significantly increase your marketing cost and time. And then also your management costs may be much higher. If you're doing short-term rentals, you may have a significantly higher cost to get the property Uh, ready for the next tenants, you know, kind of like being in touch with the tenants, kind of doing your your contact and making sure everything's ready to go for the short-term rentals, things like that could be increased by doing a shorter term. And then finally, in some cases, the maintenance on the property on short-term rental could be slightly higher depending on how things in your property wear and what it costs for you to keep up with maintenance on the property for doing that. Um, you know replacing things that you might not have in a long-term rental like linens or um, shampoos and things of that nature like you know you could have a pretty significant increase in cost for doing that as well but in a lot of cases not every case but in a lot of cases those costs are more than made up for by doing the short-term rental so this class by the way is not intended to be like this is how you do short-term rentals. This class is intended to be like the overview of how do you improve your cash flow and things to consider, then go research. If you're interested in doing short-term rentals, you want to go dig into that particular strategy to become an expert at that particular strategy. Okay. All right, let's talk about lease options. And when I say lease option, I'm talking about the whole kind of like rent-to-own family, You know, lease option, which is a lease with an option contract, lease purchase, which is a lease with a purchase contract. Uh, rent to own, which is a generic way to describe these, or lease to own, which is another generic way to describe these. So, like I'm talking about that whole family when I say lease option. So, I'm not specifically calling out lease option, I'm using it generically. Okay, this tends to provide the lease with option where you find a tenant buyer who wants to lease the property from you with the intention of buying it from you three months, six months, a year, two years, five years down the road. Um, it tends to provide exceptional improvement in cash flow in markets where the cost to buy is significantly higher than the cost to rent. In other words, where the price to rent ratio is less than ideal. So if you're in one of those markets where it's really hard to make cash flow work, putting a reasonable amount down, because the cost to buy a property is so much higher than the cost to rent a property, this could be a great strategy for you to consider. You know, if you think about it, and I'll just name some numbers here. Let's say in your marketplace, if you were to go try to buy a property, the mortgage with taxes and insurance and everything on it is close to $3,000 a month. But rent on that particular property is you know low 2000s, you know, 2200, maybe 2000 even, maybe 2400. But there's a significant difference between what a property would rent for. And even if you put 20% down or 25% down, what the property would cost you to buy. If you're in a market like this, lease option could be an interesting strategy. Why? Because when you're talking to someone who is coming in, they're leasing the property with the intention of buying it later, you need to talk to them about what it's going to cost them to buy the property. So you get to, instead of just comparing rent to rent, when you're marketing your property, now you get to discuss with them, this is what it would cost if you were just renting the property. If you were going to buy the property, though, it's going to cost you about, $3,000 a month or $3,200 a month. And so rent is going to be a little bit higher than what normal rent is on this property. And you're going to be able to buy it later. And if they tell you, look, I can't afford a $3,000 a month payment, what they're telling you is, I'm never going to be able to buy this property. I can't afford a $3,000 a month payment to buy it. So you're, you're you're setting them up for failure if you try to put a tenant buyer in a property where they tell you upfront that they can't afford what the payment's going to be when they go and finance it the only way they can afford the property is when they're renting it, then they're never going to be able to afford the property. Now there's exceptions to this, right? Like someone you know, comes into a windfall of some sort and they're able to you know, get a, a big enough down payment where they could buy it all cash and they no longer have a monthly payment, or they get a big enough down payment where they're able to do that, or they think the interest rates are going to go back down. I'm not sure I would be speculating on that, but you know, there is there are some exceptions where that's the case. But if I would want to put a tenant buyer in a property if I wanted them to buy the property, which I think I want to play win-win, right? You want someone to be in a deal where they can actually succeed through the process that you're helping them do. They want to, you want them to help them buy the property. You don't want to put someone in the property where they're never going to buy. So if you do want to do that, which I think you should, then you put them in the property and they need to be able to afford that monthly payment. And so now you could start comparing what the payment would be when they buy it to what the rent is and maybe you're able to get a little bit higher than fair market rent for the option for them for the for them to be able to buy the property from you at some point in the future. Okay. And I'm not going in I'm very deliberately not going into all the details of, you know, do you apply some of the monthly payment toward their purchase price or anything like that? These are all different things that you need to learn about if you plan on using this strategy, but I'm not going there today because we've got other stuff to cover. This is not intended to be a class on implementing lease options. There's separate classes on that if you really want to dig into that strategy, okay? okay? However, even if the monthly if the monthly fee, the amount you're charging the monthly, was completely identical, right? You were able to get only the same amount you were able to get for rent uh, as, you know, renting the property versus doing a lease option. You were only able to get that same $2,200 a month whether you did either strategy. If that was the case, there are some significant improvements to cash flow from getting a non-refundable purchase deposit when the tenant buyer comes in the property. So even if the tenant buyer is only able to pay $2,200 and the tenant would normally pay $2,200, if you're getting a, for example, a $10,000 non-refundable purchase deposit, that would significantly improve your cash flow on the property. So for example, let's say they had a three-year period in order to be able to buy the property and you're getting from them a $10,000 non-refundable purchase deposit. Well, if you take that $10,000 and you kind of like spread it out evenly over a three-year period, it's almost like getting an extra $250 more per month in cash flow. Even though you're going to take that $10,000 in many cases, you're going to apply it toward the purchase of the property later. So you're trading some of the appreciation you are expecting to get on the property over those next three years in exchange for getting better cash flow. In the meantime, you're doing some deal alchemy. You're trading future appreciation the $10,000 of extra appreciation you would have gotten later on when they buy it from you and you're saying i'm going to apply that $10,000 towards your purchase i'm going to take some of the profit i would have gotten at the end when they bought the property from me and i'm going to take it up front as a non-refundable option fee which does apply to the purchase price for them counts as part of their down payment but then you're also getting that which if you spread it out over 3 years looks like you're getting you know $250 plus per month in extra cash flow So if you thought you were getting $2,200 a month, now you're really getting $2,450, which is significant in certain markets, right? So that is one way to look at the lease option. And then the other thing is in general, I think it is true that, if you realize rent is a range, right? Unless you have a hundred identical properties that are all renting and they're they're all exactly the same, all the same views, all the same backyards, all the same amenities, all the same layouts, like everything is identical, and a, a tenant can go in and they've got a hundred different ones to choose from, um, and the rents are going to be pretty much exactly the same for all of those. But if you've got one property and another property, and the other property has slightly different layout or slightly different amenities or slightly different um, kind of upgrades or slightly different view or slightly different location in the neighborhood, like the rents on those are not identical. And so there's a slight range of what rents can be. If you're a really good marketer, you might be able to get a little bit higher. If you're not such a good marketer, maybe you're going to be a little on the lower end. So realize that the range rent is not an exact number and rent ranges vary. And if you're doing a lease, option you're giving someone the ability to buy a property from you you're almost always going to be on the top of that rent range you're usually not going to be on the low end of a rent range by putting a property up for lease option because you're adding something that is extra that is special that's valuable to them so you're almost always going to be at the minimum at the top of the rent range and in some cases you're able to get a premium okay um And one of the other little perks of doing lease options is you might also improve your cash flow through slightly lower maintenance, slightly lower vacancy, and slightly lower management. So these aren't like huge numbers, although they can be, but they tend not to be these these huge numbers. But realize if you've got a tenant buyer in a property who has ownership mentality, who is on the path to buy that property from you, a lot of times they have pride of ownership. They think that they're buying the property. And so they want to maintain their property a little bit nicer. Um, They tend to stay a little bit longer, although there's exceptions to that. And you tend to have to do less management for them um, because they are owners. They think that they're going to be owners of the property. So the ownership mentality of tenant buyers versus tenants could be a huge plus to help you with your improving cash flow. So for that reason, doing this lease option strategy, changing your strategy to be lease options could be hugely beneficial. And, I, and I've i also talked about how in the past, and this is sort of a side note, go like research this more with one of our other classes, but I've also talked before about this idea of being able to use the lease option, non-refundable option fee in order to use that as the down payment to go buy your next property. So imagine you're doing a nomad property, where you move into the property, you put 5% down and you move into the property. You live there for a year. And then when you get, when you are planning on exiting that property in order to go buy your next one, you get a tenant buyer to come in who's going to be a tenant and buy the property from you. They give you a uh, option fee on the property. Let's say it's you know 5% of the purchase price. Then you use that option fee yourself to go put 5% down on the property that you're buying. And then you are able to buy your next property. The tenant buyer who is, Going into your old property provides you the down payment to go into your new property. So this could be a strategy to provide you with the down payments to continue your own investing strategy as well. All right, let's talk about niching. Specialization tends to be more expensive than generalists. So if you cater to a specific audience, you know, corporate rentals, traveling nurses, students, you know, undergrad, graduates, startups, you know, whatever you decide you're going to cater to as part of your particular strategy, it is up to you to figure out how you can provide extra value, what they need, figure out, determine what they need, and then provide them what they need, add value to whatever it is that you're offering. And a lot of times you can get slightly improved fees by doing so. Okay. So what can you offer them that would be more attractive to people in that group than just renting another property? And then what's a reasonable premium you can charge for providing that extra value? So if you're going to charge money for students, maybe you provide housing that's near the university and you know some extra things that students would like, like uh, you know, the terms that kind of coincide with the school year or you know, the ability to have their parents co-sign or whatever it is that is appropriate for you and that particular niche that you're serving, find out what they need, how you can cater to them, and then cater to them, and you may be able to find a profitable niche to focus on. All right, let's talk about house hacking. So, house hacking is renting out part of the property while you live in the property. And we're going to go over three different examples. We're going to talk about getting roommates. We're going to talk about renting by the bed or bedroom. And then we're going to talk about renting by parts. So, let's jump into that. So, let's talk about roommates. So, imagine you have a single family home. You might be renting bedrooms. With use of other parts of the property. So you rent them a bedroom, but they get use of the kitchen and the basement and the living room and you know, and, you know maybe a parking spaces if you have that in your property. In some cases, you may have a non-conforming duplex that you could rent out to a roommate. So we see these occasionally come up, but they're properties where they're not, they're not duplexes. They're not zoned a duplex. They are not set up where they qualify officially as a duplex, but they look like a duplex. You no, know, it's a it's a property that's a uh, you know a complete upstairs unit and then there's a side staircase that goes down to the basement unit and there looks like a totally separate apartment in the basement. In some some markets you can't put the stove in or you, you can't do something where that would trigger compliance issues or something like that, but it could have a you know hot plate or something like that or a mini fridge or whatever. But it looks like it's a duplex, although it's technically not. It's what we call a non conforming duplex and actually i have a typo here i'm gonna fix it non-conforming duplex so non-conforming duplex that you can't technically rent it out as a separate unit doesn't have its own address doesn't have its own whatever you know heating source or air conditioning source or a stove or fireplace you know whatever it is you know the difference between having a full duplex and not in your marketplace it could vary a little bit but you could have a roommate that lives down there you know imagine you were just going to have a roommate upstairs in a different bedroom well, in this case, you have a roommate, and those could be the rules that you apply to this thing where you are having a roommate. And so a lot of times you have to watch out for um, your occupancy limits in your marketplace. And they're not going to have their own address. And maybe they, you know, you have to give them access to something else in order to do this, make this right. Find out what's what it needs to be in your marketplace. And a lot of times your real estate agent can help you with that. But you maybe have a non-conforming duplex that you could do that. Or <laughs> If you have a traditional duplex, triplex, or fourplex, you might be renting out the other units of that property, like actual conforming duplex, triplex, where they're legally considered duplexes, triplex, or fourplexes. You might be renting out the other units. And in addition to that, some investors may choose to rent out the duplex, rent out the other units, or triplex or fourplex, rent out the other units. And then in addition to that, they may choose to get roommates for the property they're living in as well. Okay, so that is another option. So that's like roommates, and that could significantly improve your cash flow if you're thinking about that. Okay, rent by bed or bedroom. So in some situations, they might lend themselves well to renting out by the bedroom or even the individual bed. You know a lot of uh, student rentals, they may do individual bedrooms, or they may do kind of by the bed where you have you know two two students per room. You have two beds in there, maybe two desks or something like that to kind of cater to the students. Or you could rent by parts. We talked about this non-conforming duplex, triplex, or fourplex. And be sure to check and apply with local occupancy laws to do that. But more unusual setups could also include like RV parking spaces for them to park their RV. So if you have lots of space in your property and it's set up for RV parking, you're allowed to do that with your HOA, then maybe you go ahead and you rent out the space for someone who wants to be able to park their RV there, and that could improve your cash flow on the property. Or maybe you own an RV that you have, or maybe it's a tiny home that you set up on the property, and you could rent that out as its own separate living unit on the property if your occupancy laws allow you to do that. Another common one is if you have a garage or storage units, you could rent out the access and use of the garage separately to somebody who has a car or a, like machine shop that they really want to have separately, and they don't have space in their apartment, and they want to just rent a private garage to be able to have their setup set up there so they can do that. It does not have to be, like, it's kind of key point here, it doesn't have to be a place where people sleep. It could be more of a commercial or recreational use type situation with these in order to get rent by parts. Another example would be use of the community pool. In some neighborhoods, by oh, by being a member of the HOA, you get use of the community pool. You may not want to use that. Maybe you get wristbands that give you access to do that. Maybe you give uh, you maybe you sell the rights for a family to use your wristbands. Maybe make sure you check with your HOA. to Make sure this is legal. Uh, or maybe it's use of the rec center. You know they've got a gym set up down there, or if somebody wants to have weekly meetings for their. You know, whatever their club, book club, knitting club, um, you know, game club, whatever they want to do. And they want to have use of your recreational center, and you could rent out use of that um, by giving them access to your rights to do that. Okay. All right. So that's it. That is all the different strategies we talked about for improving cash flow when you're considering the strategy that you're using. Uh, so remember, optimizing cash flow is about maximizing income and minimizing expenses. I got another typo here. Um, The strategy you decide to use will significantly impact the income and to a lesser degree, sometimes the expenses you're likely to experience on a property. It is better, in my opinion, to take a more holistic approach and to optimize at the various stages we discussed earlier, the financing stage, the searching stage, the the kind of like choosing your real estate investing strategy stage, when you're owning the property, when you're marketing the property, like when you're renting the property, all these different things kind of pick and choose and try to optimize as many of those different things as you can to improve your cash flow, especially in a market where... Prices are high, interest rates are high, and your rents are lagging. We need to do more things than we've done in the past. Cash flow has become more important than ever and harder to achieve than ever in a lot of ways. And so we really need to implement these 88 strategies that we have in order to improve your cash flow. All right. So that's it. This has been James Orr. I hope you've enjoyed class. I will talk to you soon. Bye bye for now. If you're looking to buy or sell a property in or around Lincoln, then be sure to call our podcast sponsor, Jake Grenemeyer of Clover Real Estate Services with Next Home Integrity. He specializes in helping real estate investors find and sell real estate in Lincoln. Call 402-302-0088 or go to clover.realestate. You can find his contact info in the show notes as well. He's looking forward to helping you invest in real estate in Lincoln.